All right, here we go. Uh, does anybody remember the selfie stick? I'm going to just, yeah, there it is. I mean, does anyone, man, that's the prime of civilization and society. Look how far we came. We have a plastic stick to tether our $1,000 phone on the end of it. So that way we can get that perfect shot of myself. You got to do it for the gram, as the kids say. I'm too old for that, uh, to be saying stuff like that. Do it for the gram. I like this Best Buy ad, which clarifies that the iPhone is sold separately the selfie stick is $4, and it does not include the $1,000 iPhone, just in case you were curious. Um, man, we gave away selfie sticks at our second-year anniversary party, like at just random gifts. We were just like, hey, here you go, random selfie stick, because that was um, everybody. We actually used to do this thing. And some of you are like, praise God, they don't do it anymore. But we used to transition from the music to the message with uh, a little break. So you could go up, use the bathroom, refill your coffee, and then you could come back in and take a selfie with somebody. And it's like, it's no wonder nobody came back all those first few years. They're like, I came to church and they made me take a picture with someone I didn't know. And then they posted it. We don't do that anymore. Don't worry about it. Um, the selfie. Actually, selfie didn't even become a word until 2013. 2013, it was introduced to us as a society. You can go to dictionary.com and uh, see this. Selfie even has a little pronunciation to help you. A selfie is a photograph taken with a smartphone or other digital camera by a person who is also the photographer. In the photograph, sorry. Especially for those posting on a social media website, for example, Instagram or Twitter. I know. So enlightened now that you know all of this useless information about selfies. Honestly, how many pictures does the world need of you standing or sitting in your car taking a picture of yourself? I look cute today. No, I'll try that again. Uh, before the selfie, what did people do? That's why I brought all of this up. I had to remember, like, why am I talking about selfies? Before selfies, what did people do? How, I mean, how did you get pictures of yourself? A mirror? Okay, take a picture with a little disposable camera, right? You had to ask people. You'd be at like on vacation at Walt Disney World in front of the castle, and you'd, you'd have to find another family that looks like they're trying to take a picture too. And so offer like a trade of services and goods here. Like I'll take a picture of your family, you take a picture of my family. I know. That's how they used to do it 10 years ago. So barbaric, having to talk to strangers. Um, and, and, and speaking of, and this is why I brought all this up, speaking of asking other people for help today, we are beginning a new series that we are so creatively and originally calling Relationship Goals. Relationship Goals, do you guys get it? On social media, it's like you post a meme with some lovey-dovey, pithy little phrase and you put in the hashtag relationship goals like this is what I want my relationships to be I'm aspiring you take a picture of you know your cute friends who are just getting way too cozy at the pizza place you're like wow oh, relationship goals that stuff always makes me want to barf but you know to each their own relationship goals and I was thinking about this I was like man I'm, I'm explaining the selfie to people who probably already know what a selfie is and the selfie stick and you know in five years I'm probably gonna have to explain to people what relationship goals are because it's gonna be a phase that just people are gonna be like wait people really took pictures of other people doing dumb things and posted it and said, those are relationship goals? Yes. Like we used to do that. But during this series, this week is the first week, but the next four weeks, what we're going to challenge you to do is think about the people that you're close to. And then I want you to think about the people you want to be closer to, and they might be the same people, but who are the people you're close to and who are the people that you want to be closer to? And let's make some goals. Let's be really, really intentional about that. Why would we want to do that? 
I think a lot of us are lonely and isolated, but it's not just something that I think, it's something that I know. And so um, I found some more recent studies um, of Americans that revealed that we're pretty lonely or isolated. For example, 46% of Americans report that sometimes they are sometimes or always feeling alone. This is a study that was recently done with 20,000 different participants. Pretty big study. Uh, 43% of them say that they sometimes or always feel like their relationships are not meaningful. 20% say they rarely or never feel close to people. 47% say they rarely or never have meaningful in-person interactions with others. And 13% would say that no one knows them well. Now, these might surprise you. I would guess that they don't surprise you. It's kind of just affirming what we already thought, which in the research world isn't exactly what we go into research doing. We don't want to necessarily affirm what we already think, but we already know people are lonely or isolated. According to this, half of you in the room, you would say, um, I feel alone sometimes. So this week I felt alone. This month I felt alone or I felt isolated. You would feel like half of you would say that my relationships, the relationships that I have, aren't very meaningful. One out of five of you would say that you rarely or ever feel close to someone. You never have intimate relationships with somebody uh, and conversations. And one out of 10 of you, at least one or two out of you in the room would say that nobody knows me well. And that weighs heavy on my heart. Like I feel that. I don't want you to go the rest of this week, month, year, decade feeling lonely and isolated. That just sucks. We don't want that for you. You don't want that for you. We don't want that for anybody. Not the person sitting next to you, not the person or the people watching online. We want to be in community. Um, I hope that we'll all see today that living a disconnected life, disconnected from God and disconnected from other people is not the way that God designed us. That's why it feels so unnatural to us to be lonely is because that's not the way you were wired. When you're lonely or isolated, you're not existing how God intended you to exist. God made us to know others and be known by others, to get connected and stay connected. We're so convicted about this, to get to know other people and get connected. We're so convicted. That's our mission statement at Madison Church. You find that on almost everything that we print. We put connecting people with God and each other. That is so foundational to what we do. If it doesn't connect people with God and each other, we just won't do it. We'll kill it. We'll stop it. Uh, we'll start new things. But we always want to be connecting people with each other, which is why annually we do a series on relationships like the ones that we are doing. Now, why would we do a relationship series every single year? Well, because uh, relationships and people are constantly changing, right? Some of you guys know this. You might have read a book on relationships, listened to a podcast, uh, watched a TV show, and got some advice from a friend. And, and just as you begin to think that you've figured it out, I figured out my coworker, my neighbors, my family, my partner, my spouse, I figured out my kids, I figured out this, I figured out that, they've changed. They go and they change it on you. Now all of a sudden you need a new book or perhaps maybe even you changed, you know, maybe you grew and you're now a better person or a better version of yourself. And, but now it's time to go back to the books. And so we have to study this very regularly. Jesus knew that we would have so much trouble in this area of our lives of relationships. Um, there's actually one point when a couple of religious leaders come up to Jesus and they ask him, like, what's the greatest commandment? Because in the Old Testament, there are hundreds and hundreds of commandments, and um, I just can't follow all of the rules. So Jesus, if I was only going to get a couple right, which ones should I get right? And Jesus replies, 
Um, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in the seminary world, they call this the great commandment. Actually, if you're looking at this in the Bible, it probably has the heading, the great commandment, even though Jesus doesn't say this is the great commandment. But he says the most important commandment is loving God. As a matter of fact, Jesus says that all of the other things, the things that the prophet said, the laws that were written in the Old Testament, all of this comes down to two things, loving God and loving other people. So when we're going through the Old Testament and we're reading all of these rules, to really understand the heart behind it, we've got to understand the heart behind God and why those rules existed in a certain period of time. Some rules that don't make sense to us anymore, but we can still understand the heart of it, which is that we're supposed to love people and treat them well. Um, and so as important as this is, the great commandment, relationships are so important. I don't think I have to persuade you on that. We have to get intentional. Your relationships are not just going to get better um, with time and, you know, we're just going to let it, you know, work itself out. Okay, very rarely does that happen. I've only been married uh, 10 years, but I can tell you that there are very few things that have just worked themselves out in our relationship. Usually when you don't deal with it, it actually gets worse. If you want to hit your money goals, you make a budget. If you want to hit your time goals, you make a schedule. If you want healthy relationships, then we're going to make connection goals. And that's what we're talking about today. Our relationship goals, we want to have connection goals. And we're going to be spending all of the time today looking in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, chapters 2 and 3. Uh, so if you want to follow along with your smartphone, you can use the Bible app. The Blue Bible's here. I'll have the word on the screen, but I definitely encourage you writing things down. You can even write in those Blue Bibles. Uh, you know, nothing profane, but you can take them home and um, take notes. But we definitely encourage that your Bible was meant to be written in. Um, now, I want to explain that I'm going to be reading, I'm going to be going back and forth between the message, which is a paraphrase, and the NLT, which is more of a translation. Now, if I were you and I were sitting out there and someone else were going back and forth without explaining it, I would think that that was weird. So I just want to do you the favor and explain why I'm doing that. The message being a paraphrase is better if you're looking for a larger view of the story. Think about it like looking up at the stars at night. The message when it comes to reading the Bible is kind of like looking at the whole sky taking in the moon and the stars and all of your surrounding. When I switch back to the NLT, I want to look at a star. I want to use a telescope to really zoom on in there and look at one thing. And so when I'm reading the message, I just want you to catch the essence of the story. When I switch back to the NLT, I want to point out a specific detail about the story. Does that make sense? Cool. So in Genesis chapter 2, starting with verse 18, reading from the message, God said... It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper, a companion. So God formed from the dirt of the ground all the animals of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. The man named the cattle, named the birds of the air, named the wild animals. But he didn't find a suitable companion. So right away, right from the beginning, we see that God says man is alone and this is not good. Now, if you read Genesis 1, it, it's poetic in that God creates something and he says it's good. And then God creates something else and he says it's good. And it gets to the climax of his creation, which is the man. And he says, hold on, this isn't good yet. It is not good that man is alone. Now, God is good. God's creation is good. So God has a problem that he absolutely needs to fix. And so we keep reading verse 21. Um, 
I'm going back. Yeah, verse 21. God put the man into a deep sleep, and as he slept, he removed one of the ribs and replaced it with flesh. God then used the rib that he had taken from the man to make a woman and presented her to the man. So God is a provider. God provides good gifts. He says, man is not good alone. I will fix this. I will give the solution here. And he gives Adam the kind of connection that he was made to have through a partner named Eve. This companionship was the solution to the loneliness dilemma. We were designed to be known and to know others. Connection is essential for flourishing. In Genesis 2.25, we read that the man and wife, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. And this is an important detail because in essence, the man and the woman just had complete vulnerability with one another. They weren't wearing clothes. They had nothing to feel guilty about. They had nothing to be ashamed about. They were completely open to one another. And that is kind of what we see God's dream as. It's not that God's dream is that a bunch of us are running around in the wilderness naked, okay? I mean, that's the way it started, but God's dream for us is to be completely known by other people, not to feel guilty or ashamed about who we are um, as people. That relationship is severed very quickly. We don't even get to Genesis chapter 4 um, by the time humans have ruined this. And what happens is, is one day Eve is out and Adam is with her and they're walking around the garden when the devil, who appears to them as a serpent, starts to talk to them about eating fruit that God has forbidden them to eat. And so we see this little bit of an interaction um, where the serpent suddenly asked, did, you know, did God say that you, did God really say you couldn't eat the fruit? To which the Roman replies in Genesis 3, uh, verse 2, no, not at all. We can eat from the trees in the garden. It's only about the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, don't eat from, don't even touch it or you'll die. I want to point out a detail here, okay? If we went back to um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, and I'm going to put it up there, in the NLT, um, God says to Adam and Eve, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now you go back to verse 3. What does Eve say God said? This is important. I'm not trying to like mess with your mind, okay? Just, it's really easy to go back and forth. God said, don't eat from it. Don't even touch it or you'll die. Well, wait a second. Wait, what did God say? He said, don't eat it. Now, this is interesting, okay? Because this is what happens to you and me and every person who has ever lived. God says something to you. God says something to me. And not even a chapter later, I'm either adding to it or taking it away, right? Okay, this is, and this is the ripple effect of what begins to happen. The serpent is confusing also God's word. Did God really say that? How many of you have ever listened to a podcast or a message at church or had a conversation with someone and you walk away and you get this echoey noise in your head? Does that make sense? Did God really say that? Is that what God really wants? And you find it kind of echoey? No, that's not what God wants. We start, what did God really say? And then we start adding and taking away. And this is the manipulation that so many of us go through, not just with our relationship with God, but our relationships with other people. And it's right here, written in plain sight. Well, what we see is that Adam and Eve took the apple, or it's not an apple, it's a fruit. That's the only detail we were given. They take the fruit, they eat of it, and it says, immediately the two of them did see what was really going on. They saw themselves naked. 
They sewed fig leaves together as makeshift clothes for themselves. When they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the trees of the garden, hid from God. God called to the man, where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. What's really interesting, another detail to point out about this passage. The man and the woman eat the fruit that they're not supposed to eat. The world doesn't explode. Sin burst onto the scene. And the first consequence of sin is that they noticed they were naked. That they felt vulnerable. That they felt exposed. That they needed to cover themselves up. They felt ashamed. We go from this deceitfulness of what did God really say to a person who's adding to and taking away from God to walking out in that. And what begins to happen is the relationship immediately is fractured. That's something a moment ago they shared without shame, that they shared without guilt was all of a sudden an issue, something that they needed to immediately fix. And we read later on that God um, makes them clothing. But what happened here is that the first humans go from walking with God to hiding from God. And we, people, have been hiding from God ever since. You're not necessarily hiding behind a tree from God, but we hide in very different ways in our 2020 society living here in Madison, Wisconsin. I think that it's completely possible that you hide behind achievement. It's completely possible to hide behind your college degrees, your certificates, your promotions, your salaries, the car that you drive, the house that you live in, the friends and the people that you spend time with. I think that it's completely possible to hide ourselves, who we really are from the world behind our achievements. Maybe you can relate. Of course, there's humor. I know that personally when things get too tense for me, I try to Tell a little joke to lighten the mood. And that's more for me than it is for them. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's one of the ways that I hide. I start getting stressed out and I need to alleviate the tension for myself. If it works for you too, awesome. But it's mostly about me. It's very selfish, but that's how these hiding things work is that we hide behind humor. We hide behind achievement. We hide behind distance, both physically and emotionally. This is why we have the rise of social media and also the rise of loneliness. Well, wait a second. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. I mean, I'm more connected than I've ever been. Sort of, but not really. You see, because you have an emotional and physical distance from everybody. They're, you're hiding behind your profiles where you can put on a persona of, my life is always happy. My hair always looks good. I don't have hair, so I don't have to worry about that, but you do. But we hide behind this persona of social media. We hide behind distance. We don't pick up the phone. We would just rather text somebody, you know, leave three voicemails. And if it's urgent, I might call you back. We also hide behind religion. And that might be one that you're surprised that you hear at church. But since the beginning of time, people have hid behind God and religion and rules to cover themselves up, to hide things from the real world. The truth is religion is one of the safest places to hide because it's one of the places people aren't looking for you to hide. They're looking for all of these other things, but when it comes to religion, it's really easy to hide behind. Without thinking of it, um, we find ourselves behaving a certain way to look good to the rest of our church friends, and yet we still feel deeply disconnected from our faith community. How can that be? That's not the way it's supposed to be. The connection goal this week, the relationship goal, what is the solution? The solution is to get back 
to vulnerability, to get back to being open with each other, not feeling guilty and not feeling ashamed. If we long for connection, the only way that we're going to find it is to come out from hiding. Now, I'm not an expert on vulnerability, but Brene Brown is. She's written lots of books, and we're going to show a video clip right now of her talking about vulnerability. I, I love that idea that vulnerability is not weakness. She said it a couple times, but it's actually a measure of courage, and that's true. And then when she went to the sign language and was talking about the two different ways, it was one, I was weak at the knees. She's like, no, like vulnerability is not a weakness. And then the other one was sign language for exposing yourself. And she's like, that's what I was talking about. So from that image to Brene Brown talking about it to going all the way back to us hiding behind our achievements and our religion and going all the way back to the garden in which they realize they're naked and they have to hide. They're exposed. We live in a world in which vulnerability is seen as weakness, but we have to reclaim it. If we want healthy, life-giving, full relationships, we have to be willing to be vulnerable. And I'm going to suggest that there are four things that we can do to be more vulnerable. But my ask for you is that you would pick one and really begin to apply it this week. Now, I'm not saying that you do one of the four things that I say about and all of a sudden, like, check, check, check. I got my relationship goals, better connection, all of that. This is the first step of a journey. But I think we really need to get our minds around the idea that we have got to be willing to be vulnerable. Now, before I do, I got to throw out a little disclaimer here. It's really important that your level of vulnerability, your level of vulnerability should always match the level of your relationship, okay? If you see an old classmate in the cereal aisle at Target, do not unload on them. That is the opposite of a connection goal. That is gonna get you disconnected from that person forever. They're gonna see you and they're gonna get flashbacks. They're gonna avoid you, okay? Vulnerability the level of should match the relationship level. And so if you're going to open yourself up to trust somebody, it needs to be somebody worth trusting. It needs to be somebody who you can, and it's not going to say that they're not going to mess up. They are going to mess up. Actually, that's one of the things that we're going to talk about. But just be intelligent about it, okay? Don't leave here and go to the Burger King after this and start telling the cashier all of your life's problems. The first challenge for us today for vulnerability is to answer people honestly when they ask, how are you? This week, when people ask, how are you, don't give them my response. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Which is really convenient because I can say that as I'm walking by you, which tells you you've got about one word to tell me how you're doing before I'm gone. It's concise. It's to the point. But why don't we give answers that's completely honest, that are completely honest? And I think it's a vulnerability thing. What if I tell you that I'm not doing good? What if I tell you I'm stressed out, I'm burned out? What will you think of me? How will you judge me? Maybe I did make a mistake. I don't want you to know that I made a mistake. I don't want to talk to you about my mistake. So we just kind of boil it down to how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, thanks. And we move on. I think that we do this to also protect our social media persona. You know, we got to put our picture-perfect meals on Instagram, our picture-perfect families. You'll never see a picture of me or of my kids on my Instagram of, you know, Oliver on top of Elijah punching him in the throat. Like, you just won't see that. I'll catch the one time this week they're actually playing nice and I'll post that. And then you tend to think that that's my reality when my reality is a lot of throat punching going on at my house, okay? This week, would you consider answering this question honestly with somebody? 
somebody who asks you how you're doing, would you be vulnerable with them? You don't have to say much, but something simple like, I'm doing good, but I've been stressed out about blank this week. Answer honestly if something is stressing you out. Is it work? Is it family? Is it health? Whatever it is, share it with somebody. Be honest. So that's the first vulnerability challenge. The second one is a little bit harder. They will get a little bit harder as we go, okay? The second one is to admit a weakness. This one confronts our deep desire to hide, to confront a weakness, to confront a mistake that we've made. We want to hide. We don't want to come out. We want to, don't want to admit that maybe what we thought about something was wrong when we hid behind a religion. We don't want to admit that uh, I have all of these achievements, but I still say stupid things. We have to admit a weakness. And the words, uh, and we don't like to do this, right? We don't like to, and especially in the United States culture. I mean, I don't think any culture likes admitting weakness. There's a lot of shame that comes with that. But especially in the United States, we don't want to let people know. And, and we kind of have this professionalized society where we do talk about weaknesses. We kind of flip them into strengths, right? We, we, we don't just have weaknesses. They're really they're really strengths that are underdeveloped. In the words of the great philosopher Michael Scott of Scranton, Pennsylvania, I work too hard, I care too much, and sometimes I can be too invested in my work. That is often our type of response when it comes to what is my weakness. This vulnerability challenge is talking about something that you really struggle with. You can turn this into an exercise where you admit a weakness once a week to somebody for accountability. In my life, this looks like uh, a few guys that I'm friends with from from teenage years and college years that have struggled with pornography and that we just talk about it and not in a weird way, not at the, we're at the Denny's way and I'm, you know, just yelling it out for the entire dining room to hear, but in a way that is between us, is confidential that I can check in on them. They don't want to be addicted. They want to get better, but that requires them being vulnerable and trusting me with their secret. And it requires me to return back with vulnerability to help them. So we can admit a weakness. We can the answer honestly when somebody asks, how are you? We can also give a compliment. This one sounds easy, but it's not, okay? It is easy to compliment somebody that maybe you don't see very often or an acquaintance or a complete stranger. I mean, it's not 100% easy, but it's easier than telling your brother or sister how awesome they look today, isn't it? I mean, it's like, or telling your spouse that, you know, oh, you know what? You were right that you do cook that meal better than I do. It tasted great. I mean, anybody who's been in a relationship with someone a long time knows that actually giving a compliment is actually quite challenging. But that's my challenge to you this week. Maybe that's the level of vulnerability that you're at is that you do need to tell your sibling something that you appreciate about them, a good friend that you haven't talked to in a while, that you miss them, that you miss this part of their personality. Rather than just signing your name on a card, maybe you should put a little note in there telling someone what you think about them, what you appreciate about them. Don't withhold words that could be life-giving because you feel vulnerable. Don't rob someone else of that. Be vulnerable. The last thing that you can do this one I think is the hardest, is to speak out about a hurt. To speak out about a hurt. We've all been hurt. We've all been treated poorly, neglected, in some cases abused. Um, people are going to accidentally and other times intentionally do things to hurt us, offend us, um, be obnoxious. But we cannot let that sit in our hearts and in our souls and in our bodies and let that fester. The only person that's going to hurt is you. 
So we need to confront that. We need to speak up about our hurt. Now, I'm not saying uh, leave this place and when you get to the car, immediately call up your mom and yell at her for that thing she said about your brother 25 years ago about how he was the smart one. You're like, well, does, does that make me the dumb one? You know, don't, no, leave that alone, okay? Don't do that. But I'm saying speak up about a hurt. If you're going to be vulnerable about speaking up about a hurt, you need to be gracious, understanding, loving, forgiving, but you also need to seek truth. It's okay to be hurt. It's okay to be offended, but we have to confront those things. And that requires us a certain level of vulnerability to say, when you said this, when you did this, that hurt me. You're opening yourself up to letting someone know that what they did hurt you. Don't go into it trying to attack them with your words, with a, you know, clever, snarky, sarcastic response. I know that our first reaction is to hurt someone the way that they have hurt us. But that's not what we do as followers of Jesus. So there are four kind of challenges this week. Again, you can take a picture of this, write them down. I encourage you to pick out one and to try to figure out how can you incorporate this into your everyday life. This, these are your connection goals um, that will help you hit your relationship goals. As we close here, I want you to think back to the story again. God in the garden, Adam and Eve, even in their disobedience, God was there for them. God said, Adam, where are you? Of course, God already knew what had happened. You know, is it coincidence that right after this happened, God's walking around the garden around them? Like, no, it's not a coincidence. He already knew. God made him outfits and he took care of him. Even though you've screwed up and I've screwed up, we've all said and done things that we don't appreciate, things that we're like, we wish we could immediately take back. God doesn't run from us. God is walking around in our lives saying, where are you? Where are you? Will we come out and say, here I am? Or will we continue to hide? I like how Paul writes it in Galatians. He says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all have been united with Christ in baptism, have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. I like that analogy of when you've been, it's like when you've been baptized and you come out to this new life, you've put on new clothes. You're no longer running around ashamed. You've put on new clothes. We can be vulnerable with each other when Jesus has given us new life. Let's pray.